Hey, I'm Ferdinand, and thanks for checking out the message today. We're glad that you're here, and we would love to get connected with you and your family. One easy way you can do that is to text RiverConnect to 97000. You can also visit our website at theriverchurch.cc to learn more about us and upcoming events. Lastly, if you would like to give to the River Church today, you can text the amount you want to give to 84321, or you can head to our website and click the Give tab at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. Morning, everyone. Welcome to the River Church. My name is Jason Combs. I'm, I'm privileged to be the location pastor here, and just thank you for joining us. Hi, everybody online. So thankful you're able to do that. We're going to be uh, in the book of Isaiah this morning. So if you take your Bibles, go to the book of Isaiah. Now, if you are, are new uh, in knowing the Lord, and you're like, Isaiah, where is that at? Usually, Isaiah, if you just split it down the middle, if you just take your Bible... Right in the middle, you'll usually find Isaiah. If you, if you fall into Psalms or Proverbs, go a little right. Uh, if you get into Daniel and some weirder names, go left and you'll, you'll find it. But we're in Isaiah chapter number 9. So thankful uh, last week that uh, Mitchell could share with you uh, the good news of Jesus Christ. So thankful that we have young men who will boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel. It is so wonderful. I think of that verse in 2 Timothy 2, uh, 2 Timothy 2, 2, where Paul said, The things which I have taught you, I want you to give to faithful men that they may teach others also. And that is the desire of the River Church, that we will equip men we, we, to preach the gospel. And so I love uh, them being able to do that. So thankful for Mitchell and Pat. And I call them by different names now. Here's Married Mitchell and Married Pat. That's what I call them. Uh, but uh, they both got married in the last uh, few weeks. So, so thankful for them. But uh, excited uh, for the Christmas season. Any of you excited for the Christmas season? Any of you like, just get me away, I just need to get through these next couple weeks. Maybe that's you, uh, but uh, I, I enjoy Christmas. So we are in Isaiah chapter number nine. Now when you turn to Isaiah, uh, for some of us, and I would even say for me, like I am not the uh, book of Isaiah expert. I, I well, There's been a lot of studying for me to go, okay, I need to understand the book of Isaiah. And so my hope is we study the book of Isaiah the next month. Uh, we're going to go to a very famous Christmas passage in the book of Isaiah chapter number nine. But as you turn there, I, I don't want you to be scared about this book. I don't want you to be lost. I want you to, to understand it a little bit. And maybe even this month you read through the book. Now the book of Isaiah is not little. There are 66 chapters in the book of Isaiah. So it is a big read. And my goal this morning is to, to help us to understand it a little bit more as we, we will get to uh, Isaiah 9-6 and, and, and study about Christmas. But Isaiah, the name Isaiah means the Lord is salvation. The book of Isaiah was written nearly 800 years before Jesus. So you think about that, Jesus about 200,000 years before us, 800 years. So you see, see a little bit of the timeline. But the book of Isaiah is amazing. The book of Isaiah, just to give you a little context, the, the authors of the New Testament, they quote from Isaiah more than 65 times. The name Isaiah is mentioned some 20 times in the New Testament. Jesus, when he begins his ministry in Nazareth, he starts by quoting the book of Isaiah. 
Paul, who wrote many of the epistles, alludes to Isaiah some 80 times. In Isaiah chapter 52 and 53, which some call it the servant song, it is referenced in the New Testament, or alluded to nearly 40 times. This is an amazing book. It's important. And so I don't want to be a church that some of us go, I don't really understand it, so I'm just going to skip the stuff that's easier. We don't want you to do that. The book of Isaiah is so important. It is the word of God to us. And to see the importance, you see how many times it is quoted and how many times it's alluded to. So to understand it will help us understand the word of God. The imagery in this book is amazing. One said he, he was skilled at drawing a picture and helping you to understand. He compared the nation to a deceased body, a harlot, a useless vineyard, a bulging wall about to fall down. He explained of the powerful nation that a day would come like a swollen stream, a swarm of bees, a lion, and an axe. But yet in the book of Isaiah... We have one of the most famous Christmas, and I'll use Christmas in quotes, the most famous Christmas passage. Yes, we're in this Christmas season, huh? It's December. Most of you have your trees up. You can look. We have lots of trees. We got our lights. We got our cookies. We had a cookie-making party yesterday. We made lots of Christmas cookies. I didn't bake them. I just ate them, all right? It was a great Christmas cookie party. But Christmas is here. And so maybe to, to help us get into the little bit of a Christmas mood, whether you want to or not, uh, this morning, just to, to get us into the mood, I want us to think about the greatest Christmas movie lines of all time. So I'm going to give you a couple. Now, 8 o'clock, I want you to know, I, I had to work a little bit at this one, because I think you in 1030, you're going to know the lines are going to be different of your Christmas movies. Like one of the lines, and maybe you can just tell me what movie is, every time a bell rings... An angel get, what movie is that? Okay, good, good. How about this, you'll shoot your eye out? Okay, good, good. How about this one, I believe, I believe. It's silly, but I believe. Way to go. I didn't know that one, I just did this for you. That was for you guys. Yeah. Or a toy never truly is happy until it's loved by a child. That's Rudolph. You guys are really, really good at that. If I say bah humbug, I think you know where to go. Now, I could get a little bit more difficult, and I could say, like, um, like uh, a Christmas. What's a Christmas, Graham? I want one, and maybe you wouldn't know that one. That's, that's Elf. That's a funny one. Or I made my family disappear. That's a Christmas movie, Home Alone. Mm-hmm. But the best one ever. The, the best line, you're saying, Pastor, you get to choose. Yes, I'm choosing. There is one that is the best. Out of all the Christmas movies, out of all that's been there, there is one that is the best. It is when Charlie Brown says, can anybody tell me what Christmas is all about? And Linus stops. Says, Charlie Brown, I can tell you what Christmas is all about. And he begins to quote the word of God. It's the best. See, Linus says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. 
it's the best. And he reads from the book of Luke that tells us, For unto you a child is born. That we have Christmas. The best line points us to the birth of Jesus. Now, I would say it's sister verse in the Bible. See, Luke chapter 2, it's sister verse is found in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. It says this, For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David, over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice, with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Will do what? For unto us a child is born. And I hope you slow down a little bit and I hope you think, well, pastor, didn't you say this was written some 800 years before Jesus? Yes. See, Isaiah, a prophet of the Lord, some 800 years before Jesus was born, says, for unto us a child will be born. So the word of God is amazing. And you may say, wait a minute, I, I'm not sure. I How do we know? that? Are you sure these connect? Well, when you look in Luke, when Jesus is born, just a few days later, as they take him to the temple, there's a man named Simeon there. Luke 2, verse 25, it says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for the comfort of Israel. Now, what's so amazing, if you look up the context of the comfort of Israel, you know what you'll find? You'll find it takes you back to the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, verse 1, and chapter 57, verse 18, that talks about, man, there is going to be the comfort of the Lord that will come. What is Simeon waiting for? He is waiting for the comfort of the Lord. He says the Holy Spirit was upon him. The Bible says this in verse 26. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit in the temple. And when the parents brought the child to do this, he took him up, verse 28, in his arms. And he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to what? According to your word. Why? Because those who truly followed the Lord and they knew what the word said, they knew the word said that a child would be born and he would be who? The wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the savior, the king. This is the wonderful word of God. So this morning, and for the next few weeks, we are going to study this baby, Jesus who came, the eternal, mighty God, 
Jesus, who is eternal, yet comes down to earth. He's born a child to die on the cross and to rise again. So let's pray, and we're going to dive into the study of wonderful counselor. Lord Jesus, thanks for this morning. Thanks for your word. I pray, Lord, may you use me as a tool, lead my words. I pray you bless this, and I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So back to Isaiah. Now, Isaiah, this book takes place. If you want to do a little bit more studying on your own, read 2 Kings 15 through 20, because this is the timeline of Isaiah. You'll you'll find that Isaiah was around, I'm not going to give you the exact years, like 736 or somewhere around there, but Isaiah was about this 50-year time frame where he would be the prophet. He would speak the truth, not only to the kings, he had access to the kings, but he would speak it to his nation, to the people of Israel. You'll find when you study the book that the first half, chapters 1 through 39, many times speak of the power at that time. There were a couple of strong nations of Egypt and of Syria. And then when you get to chapter 40 through 66, you'll find that the powers change and Isaiah will begin to speak about Babylon and Persia. But you'll find that Isaiah was a prophet that loved his nation. And what I mean by that is he loved the people and called for them to return to God. You'll find that when you read this book, he pleads with them to come back and to truly follow the Lord. That they were blind that they were in this religious, mechanical routine, but yet they did not follow the Lord. So if you'd like, you can flip back to chapter 1. And I'm just going to walk you through a little bit to get us to chapter 9, because I so want you to understand. You'll find in chapter 1, he loves them enough to call them out. He says that they are a sinful nation. In verse 2, he says, Children, have I reared up and brought up God speaking, but they have rebelled against me. I love verse 3. He says this, The ox know its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know my people. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. What is the Lord saying here? He's saying God's children makes animals look intelligent, is what he's saying here. As you keep reading, you'll get to verses 10 and 12. You'll find that God calls them hypocrites in their worship, that they go through the routines, but they don't know him. As you keep reading, you'll find that they're called out, that they're corrupt in character. They uses the, the thought that, hey, everybody's for a bribe. You want to bribe me? I'll do whatever you want. You can pay me off. Verse 22, it says, your silver has become dross and your best wine mixed with water. What is he saying here? He's saying you, you've given in to sin that offers up life, but it's fake and it's phony and it dilutes everything. As you keep reading through the book of Isaiah, you'll find that there are these woes where Isaiah, right, speaking the word of God, 
He says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes. Woe to those who are heroes of drinking wine. He comes to them and says, woe. You think you're in a place. You go through the motions, but you're missing the Lord. Alistair Begg said it this way. He said, 700 years or 800 years before Jesus Three, nearly 3,000 years before us, man was still filled with wine, women, and superstition. That the sins that plague them are still the same today. So Isaiah, speaking the word of God, tells them, says, you who think you have left idolatry behind have just brought it along with you. One said this, and the statement stuck out to me. It said, the biggest obstacle to our spiritual progress is that we feel healthy and even successful when we are sick and lost. One said they had an unrealistic appraisal of themselves. And so I'm walking you through this because I just, I want you to see who Isaiah is. I want you to see his care and his love that, man, he so wants his people to come back to the Lord, but he would call out sin and he would say, hey, we cannot live the way we are living. We think we are good. We think we are healthy. But the truth is we're a mess. Friday morning uh, was a normal Friday morning for me. My wife, Laura, and Silas get ready. We get ready about the same time, and they, they leave for school. And then soon after that, I'll leave. And so I got ready. Uh, they leave, and I leave a couple minutes after them. So I came into the church Friday morning early. Nobody's here. And uh, I, I got here and started to study and came back out and, and walked by a mirror. And I realized something. I actually took a picture of myself. There it is. I sent the picture to my wife and said, hey, hon, I got up this morning. I got ready. I put gel in my hair, but didn't comb it. And she said, did anybody see it? Well, kind of ruined that, right, didn't I? But no, I said, nobody saw it. I just got here. I walked by a mirror and realized something. I thought I was all good to go, but yet I wasn't at all. I thought I looked good. I thought it was good to, but, but I wasn't. Eight o'clock, you ever do that? Some of you don't have to worry about that. I know, I'm sorry. But I show you that picture just to laugh, but to think, man, the Israelites thought they were good. And Isaiah is trying to show them a mirror to say, I want you to see That you've fallen for the things of this world. You've made what is important, what shouldn't. you've, You've changed and you're not following the Lord. And what is so beautiful is that you'll see his call to follow God. You'll find in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 16, he says, Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil from your deeds 
You keep reading, he says, come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. The offer of the Lord to come back, to follow God. So you'll find this book. One says it like this, no book in the Bible so clearly exposes the falsehood of salvation by religious works as Isaiah It is by repentance and faith alone that sinners are justified in the sight of a holy God. As you keep moving along in Isaiah, get to chapter 6. An amazing passage where Isaiah is brought to the throne of God and you'll find this passage where they're worshiping God saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And you'll find Isaiah falls down with, un- he says, I am unclean because he sees the holiness and the goodness of God. What I find so amazing in John chapter 12, verse 41 in the Gospels, it says this, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Who did Isaiah see? He saw the Lord eternal, Jesus Christ is who he saw. In chapter 7, you'll find Isaiah comes to the king who is scared. See, at this time, This takes place after David, after David's son Solomon, after Solomon is gone and now his sons come after this. And in history we find, in the Bible we find that Israel actually splits into two nations. There are 12 tribes of Israel, but 10 became the northern kingdom. Two became the southern. They were in Jerusalem. This is where Isaiah is at, and he is speaking to them. And so the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, they're not great powers, but they're warring against each other. And who they're really scared of is the Egypt and the Assyrians. Chapter 7 Isaiah comes to the king and says, trust the Lord, go to the Lord. And the king in a false humility goes, oh, okay, sure. But he doesn't. He doesn't trust the Lord. This is an amazing book. But before we dive into Wonderful Counselor, and you may say, are you ever going to get to Wonderful Counselor? We'll see, I don't know. To kind of take this book to the next level. What I mean by that is when we study the book of Isaiah, you'll find that what Isaiah said would come true did. What Isaiah said would happen, happened. And Isaiah said through the Lord, he was a prophet of the Lord to speak the truth of the Lord. There are things in Isaiah's day that Isaiah said, hey, this is what would happen. And in his lifetime, those things happened. But it gets even crazier than that because there are things that Isaiah said would happen that what? Point to Jesus. Actually point to eternity. Some of those things are still Still to come. See, one said the prophet wrote about the birth of Christ. 
the ministry of John the Baptist, the anointing of the Spirit upon Jesus, the nation's rejection of the Messiah, Christ as the stumbling block, Christ in ministry to the Gentiles. This amazing book spoke of the Savior's suffering and death and resurrection and his reign as king. All these things were predicted by Isaiah. And these things are true. I think about our culture today. We have an obsession of trying to predict the future. We love it. Like, no matter, like, who's going to score the next touchdown? What's the score of the game going to be? Who's going to win tomorrow? Who's going to do that? Who's going to be in the final four? That was Silas yesterday. Hey, Dad, the college football, who's going to be in that? I'm like, son, I don't know. I can't predict the future. But we love it, right? Even some of you go, no snow this fall, or no snow this winter. Why? Farmer's Almanac says it's going to be not a snowy winter. I love when they're way off. It makes me happy. We, we love to predict and to, to go, man, see, told you, told you that was going to happen. It's like this, this obsession that we have to go like, I called it Groundhog's Day. You know what Groundhog's Day? It per, it's going to say what's going to happen in the future. Listen, your weather app can't even kind of sort of get it right. But we have this, I, I'm going to predict what's going to happen next. We don't know. It's actually the scary thing of this world. They don't know what's going to happen next. You know who knows what's going to happen next? The Lord. You know who, when he calls something to happen, you know what's going to happen? What he called. What the Lord says is true. And that's what's so amazing about the Bible and here. The Lord spoke the truth of that baby coming long before. And it is true. Luke 24 says this, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins shall be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. What does the Bible say in the gospel as Jesus goes to the cross? It says, these things were what were written. This is the truth of God's word. That is why we run to God's word. It's amazing. In Isaiah, what's so incredible, it says that Jesus would live a sinless life, do great signs and wonders and healings. He would be the suffering servant. He would die an atoning death, and Christ would rise from the dead. So saying all of that, let's finally land on chapter 9. In chapter 9, verse 2, it says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. 
As you get into chapter 9 and verse 2, if you read just before that, you'll find that the people, instead of calling upon the Lord, they called upon false gods. Here there is darkness. What does Isaiah do? He brings them to the light. Here in chapter 9, it's like, you have to know the light. And what's amazing is that we, we know the light. John eight twelve says, he, speaking of Jesus, is the light of the world. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, for God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Again, what do we see in Isaiah? It points to Jesus, who? The light of the world, that they are in darkness, but now may they see the light. And church, I, I built up all of that Isaiah, hoping that you'd look and go, is any of this a part of me? That as Israel lived, do, do I need to... Look in the mirror. Do I need to look and say, hey, do I live more like Israel or do I live more to the life that Isaiah called me to live that brings me to the light? Again, I said earlier, the the biggest detriment is when those who are sick think they're healthy. When those who are in darkness think they are in light. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says this, working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. And as I was studying this, I, I came across this passage and, and, and an author um, just speaking on it. It just so stuck out to me. He said this of this verse. He says, Paul urges us not to receive the grace of God in vain. Now listen to this. Because God's grace not only accepts us, it transforms us. But if all we want out of God is acceptance without transformation, we are receiving his grace in vain and our Christianity is worthless. And it just brought me back to the Israelites that said, we're okay with God. We're actually, we'll accept the grace of God. We're good with that. But they weren't about the grace of God transforming their life. This author speaks something so real that if our faith is only, yeah, I'm, I'm okay with God, but our faith is not accepting the grace that transforms who we are, the truth is we don't truly know Jesus. This week I had a man come into my office, spoke with him, I met with him uh, one other time and new to the church and just fabulous. I, I just love, uh, just, just was an incredible meeting. A young man has had some hurt in the past couple of months. He's, he's lost some people in his life and he said, I just had to ask the question, is there more to life than this? Is there more? And so he's, he said, I, I have a coworker, and the coworker brought him to church here. And he, so we met and sat down and began to talk. And so I challenged him. I said, here's what I want you to read. I want you to read your Bible here and here, and then come back to my office and ask some questions. 
So this week, that's what happened. He came to my office and said, oh, I was reading here and reading here and started talking about some things. But he said, Pastor, I, I read a verse. And he said, I, I, it scares me. He said, I came across a verse that in the Bible where it said, Jesus said, you, you do this in my name and you do this in my name and you do this in my name. But he said, I read the verse and the verse said, but you don't know me. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. He said, I read that. It sounded like they, they didn't get in. And he said, just being honest, he said, Pastor, I read that. Those Pharisees, they did, like I look at them, they, well, they, I didn't do that, and I didn't do that, and I do this, and I do this. So if they're not in, I'm, I'm definitely not in. And so then we began to talk about the grace of God. That is because of a baby that was born some 2,000 years ago, because of what God did, that he loves us, and in this dark and broken world, he sent the light. And Jesus came and he died on the cross, that if we will receive the grace of God, that if we will believe in what Christ did, that he died on the cross and he rose again, And to come to the same place the Israelites needed to come. To a place of repentance and faith in God. I said, that's what will save us. But I said, when when we trust in that salvation, it not only will save us, it transforms us. And that takes me back to the author that if we really will receive the grace of God. We receive the salvation of the Lord. Receive the power to be transformed by the Lord. So Isaiah 9, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Brings us to verse 6. Again, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. So before we get to Wonderful Counselor, this last sentence says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. What, What is this saying? The zeal, the 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 desire. The, the passion. See, we can see God as meek and mild, but we can also see him one said as brave and bold and hear the zeal. This is saying the passion of the Lord will do what? Sends his son. When you study zeal, you'll find 
One passage talks about the envy that drives human effort. Another place in Song of Solomon talks about the love that turns the heart of the bride to the groom. Here, when it speaks of this passion, it says, the Lord has this zeal for who? For you. And maybe this Christmas, you, you got to come back to and realize the offer of salvation to you is because the Lord is good and loving. To realize the offer of salvation is because the Lord would have none to perish, but all to have eternal life. And maybe this Christmas we come back to a place to go, man, it is the Lord's zeal and love that he looked down and saw lost people, hopeless, and says, I love you, and I will send my son. That's why Luke 2 is so incredible, for it says, for unto who? You. Unto you is born this day. The Christmas is the offer of salvation from the Lord because he loves you. And we are in a dark, broken world and we are lost. For unto you. Jesus comes. Who? The wonderful counselor. The mighty God. The everlasting father. The prince of peace. Remember I told you you were supposed to get the wonderful counselor? As we close, just to think about Jesus. That God's word is true. And when you put up the lights, and you buy the gifts, and you watch the silly movies, do you come back to that child who is the wonderful counselor? That as Colossians 2 3 says, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. When you read Isaiah chapter 40, it says, Who has measured the spirit of the Lord and what man shows him his counsel? Or like Isaiah 28, 29, says, He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. So this Christmas, do we come back to the wonderful counselor? To trust him in how to live. To trust him in where to go. Again, Isaiah was so reaching out to the people he loved. Saying, hey, we can trust our own strategies. We can trust our own truth. Or will we trust the wonderful counselor? 
Again, one pastor said, the wonderful counselor knows you personally, diagnoses you properly, and delivers you powerfully. So as we study God's word this month, we see how amazing it is. May this Christmas we come running back to Jesus. That baby that was born. Will you stand please? Well God, thank you for this morning. Lord God, I pray you use this however you want. We sure do thank you for your salvation. We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.